Uh, on the surface, I guess the race didn't seem to be terribly interesting, but that might not be actually reflective of reality. I, I think it was actually pretty cool, but. Well, I, I think it was too. Um, obviously, the first lap was, I honestly thought the cars were, there were going to be collisions in the first that first sector yeah. of turns, you like the first three turns. Oh yeah. Before that tiny little straight part, um, where they, 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 I, you know, as you know, you and I were texting, I, I had a feeling based on the way the cars were set up and based on the Red Bulls being fast and as straight, my, and how they were positioned on the grid at the start. I had a feeling that if nobody takes anybody out, then it's going to be Red Bull Mercedes, Red Bull Mercedes, which is exactly what happened. Now, I didn't know which. I knew Max would be the first Red Bull and Checo would be the third. I didn't know for sure if Hamilton was going to be able to get in front of Russell, which he did. So, yeah, I think I think that was that was really surprising to me. It was like, of course, like turn one, especially with such a long run down to it. There's always going to be something that happens. And lo and behold, there, there wasn't. But I think Max did a brilliant job on that drag run down to the <laughs> down to the corner to right. just keep them both behind. Well, and the reason, you know, this is a critical part of the race is strategy. So, mm-hmm. you know, to the casual viewer, this race may have seemed really boring, but you have to know that the Red Bull started on softs and the Mercedes started on mediums, which is probably why Max and Checo did so well in, in those first, yeah. that first lap. Now the long-term view of Mercedes was, yeah, we're probably going to give up a couple positions at the very beginning, but we're going to win the race because we can do a one stopper if we start on mediums because mm-hmm. their plan was to go from mediums to hards. And, Red Bull, um, you know, and the assumption was that if Red Bull starts on softs, by the time the softs have degraded, they're going to switch to mediums and they're going to need a third change of tires. That was the assumption. And it wasn't it wasn't unreasonable, but that was where Mercedes went wrong. If you if you I don't think it's fair to say they made a mistake, but it was it could have been true <laughs> but yeah. and there was really no way to know but you know that's the bottom line that that's my opinion on it is that they they made a logical assumption it just didn't pay out and and to be honest i thought they were right at, at the first half of the race it seems like every time pirelli and now granted maybe this is negativity bias where you only really pay attention to when things go wrong and not when things go right. But it seems like every time Pirelli is like, hey, this strategy is the best one for the race, it seems to always be wrong. (laughs) And like Mercedes followed their recommendation. They went from the medium to the hard, which is what Pirelli said they should do. They said that it should be slightly faster. Yeah. Under the assumption that the other cars, if they start on softs, will have to come in for tires twice. Yeah. But I think honestly, as I was as I was kind of watching things play out, it was like mm-hmm. I think this is just I think I even texted you this. I was like, I think this is just Red Bull's better tire management coming into play again because it seems like all throughout the season, actually not initially, but they they made some changes about a quarter of the way through, roughly. Yeah. Where suddenly they just they just preserve their tires way better than anyone else, and I think that came into play and threw off Mercedes here. Yeah, I think by the time I think by the time you texted me that it was more like 
you know, it was over halfway through the race, I think. And so, you know, cause I kind of thought, here's what I thought at the beginning, I thought, okay, I, I they're on softs. Those aren't going to last. I didn't think they'd go more than 13 or 14 laps on the soft, in which case in a 71 lap race. Oh yeah. No, no matter what they go to, they're either going to have absolutely worn out hards at the end, or they're going to have to stop twice. Yeah, so, but the the way it panned out, the the Mercedes stopped. I mean, only a handful of laps later than the Red Bulls, like not even that, like maybe five, not even that. Right. Like yeah, yeah. They were trying to. I don't know what the logic on that was, but and that's only because Max got more laps even than Checo did out of the soft tires that's because true, yeah. he was running. He was running up front in clean air. True. Yeah. So. I think I think Mercedes kind of willingly gave up. They were hoping for a better start and they were hope but you know, I'll tell you one thing and this is I I have not seen Max under pressure get a better start off the line at the beginning of a race than he did this weekend. You know, <laughs> I didn't think about that, but you might be right. That's yeah, I, he <laughs> nailed it, and it made me nervous because they don't always do that. And both he yeah. and Checo have had problems um, at the very start of a race, you know. Um, so I was gritting my teeth, and then I saw instantly that it's like, oh, he got he got the whole shot here. This is yeah, yeah, great, you know. And I thought at that point, okay, he's on softs, he got the whole shot. This is good, you know. And then I was just let's see what goes on behind him, kind of thing, mm-hmm. but. And, you know, the other thing I noticed was Lewis um, gave Russell enough room if he was going to be able to get around him, you know, and he went a little bit wide, but he kept his position. Uh, Lewis could not have played those first few turns better. You know, he, he, oh, yeah. he didn't he didn't cut Russell off at all, which I was, you know, glad to see and sli- a little surprised to be honest but he did perfect yeah yeah and russell did too so they both were told do not take anyone <laughs> out at the beginning or or else can you imagine if either of them hit the other and they both go into the wall turn one or or something well, it's like, happened it's happened with with uh you know, i know not, but not, it, not but, with russell but, but with to Lewis mercedes and... this year where they finally have a one-off race where they're so competitive and like yeah they would just take each other out yeah i, I imagine they both were told very sternly <laughs> do yeah. not touch each other which, yeah, yeah so that was the other thing, you know, I guess so that, but the bottom line is once the car sorted them out in the first lap and there wasn't a wreck or a safety car, which I was really surprised about. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, other than when Mercedes came in and when Red Bull came in and who had, and they all had good stops for the most part. Um, you know, that was the race did kind of become boring in a way, especially with, you know, Max kind of walking off with it in the second half after the first tire change. Well, and to be fair, I wouldn't call this race boring personally. I think there was a lot of strategy that went on that you wouldn't necessarily immediately pick up on. And there were some decent battles a little bit further down the running, but like beyond both Ferraris getting ahead of Bottas early and beyond, you know, Checo getting ahead of Russell on the first lap the top right. six positions just never changed. <laughs> they just were in the same position. And you know what I realized? I realized yesterday evening or this morning, whenever it was, I was thinking about this and I go, you know, 
this race, okay, here, here's what it is. If you don't watch that many F1 races or you don't really, you know, you're not fully versed on the nuances of the sport, this would have seen like, you know, kind of a boring race. I mean, there were F1 cars and it was mm-hmm. cool and the crowd was really into it. So there were some neat things. Mm-hmm. But um, the race itself was kind of, you know, uh, unspectacular. But where where it really is, I mean, there's so many parts to a race weekend. And what I realized is it's not till you, after the race, kind of go through and think about things and look at the pit stops and mull it over a while. That's when it becomes interesting. Because you have to, you know, like, okay, why were Mercedes faster than um, Ferrari this weekend? Well, you have to realize they were at altitude and their car has issues with drag. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when they're around sea level, they are slower. They're the third place car. But in this place, because they were at high altitude, they're not. You know, they're the second place car. And Ferrari struggled all weekend. They had a horrible weekend. They just never were spectacular at any point in time. So they were just, I mean, you know, it, I read the post-race uh, comments, you know, by both Ferrari drivers. And basically what they said was, we were in front of the, we were well in front of the midfield, but we couldn't touch the first two teams. <laughs> they couldn't touch Mercedes or mm-hmm. Red Bull. But so they were just like in no man's land. They said it was for them. It was a boring race because they solidly had third place. But that was it. So, you know, for whatever reason, and they don't know why they had a bad weekend. Um, You know, Bonotto said that they're going to return the cars to home base and they got to figure out why they didn't do better this week. And they really don't know why. But, you know, what I personally think is they kind of do know why (laughs) based on qualifying. And that is, I think they had to run the cars in a low, low power mode to keep them overheating. Oh, that could be. Yeah. I think in the high altitude, they had a heating issue, and they just don't want to talk about it that much. Yeah, because I, I didn't watch practice, but didn't you say that they like blew an engine or two? Well, there's six Ferrari engines out there. Ferrari themselves, the red Ferrari team, did not blow an engine. But oh, oh, there oh were, okay. But there were several that in the, in the like, Haas or um, Alpha, uh, not Alpha, Alpha Romeo, but, uh, Alpha Romeo. Yeah, that did have problems, but the, but now granted, this was in free practice, and but they were using their old engines in free practice. They were using engines that were still running, but they would never put into a race. And they go, let's practice with these because there's only three races left at the end of the season, and they don't want to take any red penalties if they can avoid it. So Yeah, that just kind of makes sense. You wouldn't want to risk one of your good engines. No, but everybody probably did the same thing, and it was the Ferraris that were having the problem. But not only that, they were the side pods, the paint through the carbon fiber was bubbling on the side pods. Um, and you could see that when they would come back into the pits after being on the road. And that was like, oh, that showed a severe heating problem. So, see, yeah, that, so yeah. if you kind of put one and two, you know, one and one together, you're like, okay, I see some of the older Ferrari engines blowing up. So my guess is during the race, they had to, they made a decision that it, they would get more points completing the race than risk blowing up the engine and getting zero points. If and they given their year, I think they made the right call. 
You know, I think they actually did. I think they did make the right call. So wait, wait, so, wait, wait, wait. Is that is that Ferrari not being a clown show for once? <laughs> I they weren't in Mexico. I think they did the right thing. Oh, but no. but they kind yeah. of accepted their lot as well, if you think about it. They accepted their lot of third place and they did fine in that in that lower position. I think it's I think they start overthinking themselves when they try to win races a little bit, but yeah, I it, think so. It, you know, my, my kind of take on the whole thing was just, this is kind of a one-off. It's by far, by mm-hmm. far the highest altitude race on the calendar. Yeah. Um, nothing comes close. This is over a thousand feet of elevation. And the other, the next highest is only a few hundred, I think feet of elevation. Um, I could yeah. be getting my exact numbers wrong, but I remember looking it up a while ago. It, it was, it's it's the highest. Race it was substantial. Sure. So to me, it's like when you have Mercedes that has such a draggy car in normal conditions, you you yeah. lower the. This is something Russell was talking about even yeah. in in an interview and everything. Is like you you lower the air density and suddenly the drag doesn't matter as much, and so you, you're just going to have a unique situation where Mercedes is very strong. And then on top of that, um, Mercedes recently has been adding uh, upgrades still, and Ferrari hasn't. They they made they said that a, a couple of rounds ago that they're not bringing in any more updates for the rest of the year. And so I think it was just kind of you you mix those things together, and you mix it together with the fact that the Ferrari engines were overheating, and they they didn't want to take any risks. That I think that's kind of where you see the pace difference. Yeah. Do you yeah. have any arguments with that? Um, no, you know, I, I, I don't think, no, I, I, I mean, that's, it goes along with everything else we're saying. Yeah. So yeah. I think that they brought their, uh, Mercedes brought their last upgrades to Coda. Yeah. And they're not going to be updating the car anymore, they say. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that this race, it may have been their best chance to win one before the end of the year. There's only yeah. two left and, and you have a sprint weekend which is going to be interesting in two weeks in uh, Interlagos in Brazil, that's going to be, there's a lot of points there. So it's, and I think Mercedes, I mean, excuse me, Red Bull is going to do very well there. Yeah. I'm going to be surprised if we get to Brazil and Ferrari is, you know, in the same position. Like I I just can't see that happening. I, I I think they will be about on par with Mercedes in, in Brazil, if not a little bit better. Just given the track design, uh, and I how... think they'll be. I think they'll be third. I think they'll be closer really? to Mercy, closer to Ferrari, but a little lower. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm talking Ferrari uh, to Mercedes the the other way. That Ferrari will be slightly ahead. Oh, oh, okay. So you said Ferrari would be a little better than Mercedes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. In that case, we're in agreement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. So I, I th- another thing I wanted to. It was kind of funny. It struck me. <laughs> it struck me during the race. Yeah. I think I may have temporarily gone insane. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I'm glad um, you're back. Because you? <laughs> I found myself enjoying the fact that Mercedes was competitive. <laughs> hmm. And this is after... You have to qualify that, maybe, you know, <laughs> only because we're, we're genuinely Red Bull fans. Well, I know, but I mean, look... They they haven't been competitive all year, and I'm like, hey, finally, Mercedes is competitive. This is great. But then I had to remind myself that I just spent the last how many right. years dreading the fact that Mercedes was so dominant all the time, right. and I'm like, please, will anyone else be better yes. than them for once? 
And can't, finally, can't, we have can't a we year. Can we go back to Egypt where at least we had food? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not uh, yeah, like I want so. them to be dominant. I don't want any one team to be dominant and untouchable. But it was like. Well, it is what it is. You know, like. I spent, it, you know. it just struck me because I spent so yeah. long being like, oh, Mercedes again. Oh, gee, I wonder who's going to win. Is it going to be Lewis well, or Bottas? It's not just it's that. Like... It's when the, when the first turbo hybrid Mercedes came out, they were so dominant it wasn't even funny i know and so i I spent so long being like uh mercedes again and then for me to be in the middle of a race going oh hey this is cool mercedes is competitive i had to stop and be like wait what happened (laughs) have i gone well yeah you were kind of texting things like that and i'm like uh no (laughs) so i'm enjoying them not being competitive because you know but they're yeah it's it's but one thing that is interesting is they're they don't appear to have and we'll find out in the in the in Abu Dhabi for sure but a little bit more in Brazil but they appear to have the at least for now the porpoising issue under control now whether as the rules change in 2023 whether that continues has yet to be seen but it yeah. should cuz they are changing the rules to prevent it but um the uh you know so that issue doesn't exist anymore and at least i think that overall if you take your average race you know like singapore is not an average race and mexico is not an average race because of the altitude singapore isn't sure. because of the way the tracks laid out so sure um, but if you take your average track you know if you kind of build such a thing um they should be more competitive next year at the beginning than they were this year so they should be now you know because in theory the teams aren't only working on the 2023 car they're starting work on the 2024 car already that they do that by the end of they're about two years ahead they have to really interesting yeah i knew that they would work on the next year's car during the season i didn't know they were to like kind of thinking about that far out well now that doesn't include Mercedes. Mercedes did so badly this year that oh, chances are they aren't ahead like that. And I'm sure Red Bull is already working on 2024, and they've probably got a lot for 2023. So oh, that's interesting because they, you're right. Mercedes did have to spend so long this year working on just figuring out what was even wrong with this year, this year's car. Right. That I'm sure they've thought about 24, but they they weren't. I'm sure, like to your point, they haven't been able to put anywhere near the time that Red Bull or Ferrari has. Well, how can you develop a 2024? It wasn't until they made the decision to scrap this design and go with something completely different in 2023 that they did. They actually make that decision because I hadn't heard that. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, Total said they did. That's they finally had to make the decision. Okay. They had to admit, instead of trying to fix a bad design, they had to admit that they had a bad design. Yeah. They think they know what's... So the changes that they made, like for Coda, those changes were changes to a design they're no longer going to support. Ah, so interesting. Okay. So the changes that are making them faster now, which this is an interesting point, aren't necessarily going to translate into 2023 because they're going to have to change designs. Now, if they get 2023 right, who knows where they're going to be? We're not going to know until the first three or four races, you know, where it's going to be. 
it seems like there's two schools of thought in the in the paddock right now. There's the Red Bull downwash side pods, and there's the Ferrari kind of bucket side pods design. Um, I think Alpine and Haas copy not copied for lack of a better word. It's not literally a copy, but they went in the direction of the Ferrari design. Whereas like everyone else has gone for the Red Bull design. Do you think Mercedes yeah. is would which way do you think Mercedes would go? With that, you know, or do you think they would just strike out on their own again <laughs> and hope for the best? <laughs> like, well, I don't think I, you know, that's that question has a different answer now than it would have a year ago. Yeah, Mercedes likes to be the trendsetter and they don't like copying anybody, but they're yeah. gonna consider everything. And and if there's a similarity, they're going to claim you copied them, even if the opposite's true. <laughs> but in this case, they can't. So, yeah. um, you know, the bottom line is that's it's kind of a hard question to answer. But at this point for 2023, if the Red Bull pod design is, you know, like if their wind tunnel testing shows them that's fastest, they will copy it shamelessly. Yeah. Like everybody else copied their the front of their car, you know. Oh, the, that's true. It, yeah, at the beginning in the tur- of the turbo hybrid era, everybody had to start catching up to them. And see, that's why they were so good for like three years. If you get a huge advantage like Red Bull has now, it trans it can translate to three seasons. Yeah. So if yeah, this yeah. is true, that's true. If this if this holds true for um, and it could for Red Bull, you could pretty much say with some assurance that as long as max you know all things being equal in other words max stays healthy and blah 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 um you can pretty much there's almost a guarantee they're going to win 2023 unless they're penalized or something crazy Mm -hmm. um and they have a good chance of winning 2024 2025 and six you can't talk about yet because then there's a there's more uh power plant changes and fuel changes and things like that so that that's going to be yet another huge mix that whoever gets it the most right is going to have a there year was, or two yeah, probably. Of, yeah, yeah there, there was a guy on YouTube that I follow who was one of those, they did the math moments where he actually went back and graphed out all of the development, uh, mm-hmm. the rate of development across seasons in previous seasons. And he found that um, basically the first season of an era is where the overwhelming majority of the development happens and whatever happens in that season. And I'm paraphrasing massively here, but what basically whatever happens in that first season basically snowballs into the rest. And so, yeah, it seems like I think you're probably right. It would take something pretty big. Now, granted, maybe Ferrari, because we know their engineering department is on point, like their strategy, not so much, but their engineering is on point. So maybe Ferrari will come out with something and they'll they'll be, you know, hyper competitive with Red Bull or maybe even have the edge next year. Who knows? I, I that's but, why I think they're going to be a solid second because they're yeah. farther ahead than uh, Mercedes. Mercedes, up until oh, interesting. Um, I would say up until the summer break, they were playing catch up, and then over the summer break, they brought some changes to Spa, and then they brought their last changes. So they got like probably. Who knows? Let's just take a guess. 25% of the engineers supporting this year's car and mm-hmm. 75% working on the 2023 car. And they're probably not even looking at 2024 yet. They're behind mm-hmm. on it. 
maybe they're just kind of looking at it, but they really can't afford to because they tried to salvage this season like they really hard. And it wasn't, I think, until their attitude changed and both Lewis and Toto started saying, hey, you know, we're struggling. We don't know if we're going to get it right. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like this is a championship season. When they started talking like that, whenever that was, that's when they started looking at the 2023 card. And they started putting their efforts into it. They basically abandoned this design and just, and decided we can't fix it. We have to go with something else. Yeah. They basically had a choice to make and they choose, and they chose the wrong design is the way I understand it. I, I've I've heard it put that way that there yeah. was a couple ways you can approach the ground effects and they went one way everybody else went the other way they were wrong that uncharacteristically but they were wrong. What was kind of funny and given that they were Mercedes and so dominant for so long, I did find yeah. it quite hilarious. Um, but at the beginning of the year, if you remember, they were very smug. They're like, "Oh well, I, I see no one else did what we did. Ha ha! Aren't we so smart?" Yeah, and, <laughs> and then. Oh yeah, yeah. They lo- they loved it that they were different. Yeah. They, to them, that they absolutely thought that guaranteed them the championship. Yeah, which and yeah, it's it, kind of funny. Yeah, unfortunately, no. In this yeah. case, one of these things is different from the other. Did not pay off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, how do you think? So, the overall principle that I have in my head is I don't ever want one team to just be dominant and untouchable, right? We had that with Mercedes for so long, and it just got boring. And even if it's Red Bull, and I love Red Bull, I love Max, I love Checo. Even if it's Ferrari, I love Ferrari, even though they're a clown show sometimes. I love, you know, Leclerc, and I love, I love Carlos. I I don't want any of these one teams to be untouchable and, you know, so dominant. So I, I, that's kind of why I was like, hey, maybe you know, Mercedes is competitive. I'd like three teams to be. I'd like to show up to a race and not know who's going to win. You know, that would be really cool. But like most well, of the year, it's been like, well, it's probably going to be Max. I mean, it could be a Ferrari, but it's probably going to be Max. Well, I think, unfortunately, the FIA agrees with you, unfortunately, in my opinion. <laughs> no, but see, I don't because that gets to the yeah. point that I was going to make is like, how do you see this whole idea of the development in the first year and the snowball effect and all that? How do you see that squaring with the new ideas of um, that started l- well, this explain year? This, explain what you mean by snowball effect, just to make sure I understand what you mean by oh, that. Oh, uh, whoever has the, the most advantage in the first season it take, carries that advantage into the second season and isn't trying to play catch-up, so more of their time is allocated towards iterating on things that they no works rather than things that they're trying to fix and that just kind of snowballs is all you mean like like the fact that red bull got this design right yeah 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 they're They're not spending their time trying to fix a car they're trying to just make it better. yeah yeah so like it we're, we're looking at the the way that they restrict the development time or the wind tunnel time and other they, things. they being the FIA. The FIA restricts the, the wind tunnel time and other things okay. around development for the, the teams that do better, and they give right. more time to the teams that do worse. And so maybe that curtails some of the snowballing that could happen, and maybe that, that, that well, would even the playing field, which is the whole point of it anyway. I, I don't know. Well, I think, okay, so here's, yeah, we've we've, here's what I think about that. Number one, It just, it's, I think Formula One in this area is not unlike other sports teams. So 
and I, you know, I'm more familiar with baseball than football, but what happens in baseball is you build a team, you, you, you have to sacrifice like two, three, maybe even four seasons mm-hmm. to build a team that's going to be dominant in, in, you know, by putting your money where it needs to go and you, you get pitchers and then you get this and that, and you look for some hitters, mm-hmm. but you know, and you and you're and you're getting young guys, and you're building a new team. This is exactly what the Padres did, and this year, you know, they did really well. So, hmm. um, but they they struggled for the last several years. Where people would joke about the Padres, but <laughs> I knew that they were going to have a really good team this year because it's been building to that, and they've been working on it. And this is, and then. After you've had a dominant team, the guys age, they retire, you know, mm-hmm. they get injuries because your body wears out fast in any sport, even baseball mm-hmm. and, you know, that kind of thing. So then they're not dominant anymore. And in Formula One, there's a lot of things that play into this that the FIA has nothing to do with. For example, oh, if true. you're if you're if you're an engineer with a top team, used to be Mercedes, now it's Red Bull, you're going to get courted by the other teams with higher true. salary. That literally happened to Mercedes over the past few years as they got poached. Oh, absolutely. Their their engineers got poached by the other teams. And it's gonna happen to Red Bull. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Mercedes is going to hire some engineers. You know, that or Ferrari are going to hire them and, you know, that sort of thing. Or, the, or even McLaren or somebody else that wants to get a leg up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, success breeds success in a way, you know. So, um, and, it, and everything, that's kind of, if you want to call it the marketplace, where competition creates an even field. That's the foundational belief of a marketplace type mentality that competition breeds um, the best distribution of resources. Hmm. So my, my complaint with the FIA when they penalize success, meaning they take wind tunnel and CAD time, computer assisted design time away from the number one team while at the same time, they give the team that comes in last place an additional 125% of the time that they give the midfield teams. Um, I just don't, I think you're penalizing success and rewarding failure and you're, you're interrupting, you're, mur- you're, you're muddling around in the marketplace. Um, but what their goal is, is kind of, and I'm going to use a big word here, but their goal is egalitarianism, where they're trying to make everybody the same. And they're vocal about Mm. that at this point in time. They're vocal about trying to make the teams as similar as possible and the cars as similar as possible. And they've certainly changed the rules over the last really 10 years for the cars to be more similar than different. So... Um, and they've always they've been doing that for like the last 20, 25 years, That's but true, it's been yeah. even more. The so amount of things you can actually have control over as a team on your car has steadily gone down. Right. It, it continually decreases. And I don't like that. What I, I really don't care for that. I just think, I, you know, because there is the, the caveat here is there is a barrier to entry in Formula One where it takes a, a team that's just coming in and doesn't have the f- huge funding like Haas yeah. or, or um, a Force India back in that day or whoever, mm-hmm. Williams, you know, they, they don't have the big sponsorship because they don't have the results. And so they're kind of relegated to these lower orders. But 
So I, I don't have a problem with helping, maybe subsidizing the teams that are at the bottom to encourage them to stay in the sport a little bit. But I don't think that you should simultaneously take time away from the top teams. And that's that's my thought on it. Okay. So, uh, look, there's, there's kind of... To, to me, there's like one of my favorite saying is two things can be true at the same time. In this case, I think there's like three or four <laughs> things that can be true at the same time. Um, sure. I think it's like on the one hand, yeah, I, I agree with you in in general that I don't like the FIA muddling with things. I would prefer mm -hmm. we've talked about and maybe we'll get into that more deeply at some point. This kind of formula unlimited series where the FIA just completely gets out of it. I would prefer that kind of um, uh, mode that rather than the FIA, you know, mm -hmm. controlling every little aspect of everything. So like, right. I, I get that, like that, but that's just kind of an overarching principle. And I don't know that given the state of the sport right now, that that's entirely practical. And I think, I think to your point, it would be nicer if they just kind of let, for lack of a better word, let the market do what it's going to do and just, mm -hmm. you know, but at the same time, I can't help but think if we didn't have the entire regulations change for this year, Mercedes would have just been dominant again and they would continue to be dominant, even even though they've been poached They by you know a lot of their guys have been poached. I, I still think that they would have just still been dominant and even and even more so carrying on to the into the future just because they have the momentum on their side. And I do think that the, the thing is, though, that who was dominant before see Mercedes became dominant because of an FIA change when they brought in the six cylinder turbo hybrid cars. Yeah. So who was dominant before that? Red Bull. There you go. So who's to say that if the change, if they didn't change the car back then, that Mercedes would have been as dominant as they were. Red Bull might have stayed dominant, and then Mercedes I mean, would have had to catch up, and okay, you would have fair, had more. Fair point, but that's that's not mm -hmm. the the point I was necessarily going to make. It's like it, it isn't about Mercedes or Red Bull. I don't really care who's dominant. Again, I don't want any one team to be dominant, and yeah. having this kind of a system is the FIA meddling in things. I accept that, but yeah. it seems to be. And a, I mean, we'll see how effective, but it seems to be an effective means of equalizing things so that it's more competitive. Because if you look back in 2019, 2020, I mean, Mercedes was untouchable. They were just like, they just showed up and won apart from a couple of instances. And it's just like, okay, that's, that's not interesting. And, and so when you have hmm. more people, more of the teams closer together, it's more competitive and then more interesting to watch. And now I do not want them to go as far as IndyCar does because IndyCar has everyone basically has the same car. There's yeah. very few differences between them. It's like dampers and maybe well, some that's other where parts. we're that's where they're heading. And right, and is, I don't and want them will, to go that far. Well, but they're, I'm just, they're going. To, I'm just trying to think, think that there's got to be some kind of a balance, and maybe what we have right now is that balance. But maybe it's already gone too far, and I, I, I think don't it's know. gone too. I think it's gone too far, and so here's my point. Here's okay. my point, and I I think I can connect the dots for you. Okay, okay. <laughs> and that is, if if one car happens, like if you have a dominant team, like it was Red Bull back when Vettel was with them, sure. he won four in a row before they brought in the new era that Mercedes dominated. They happened to get the rules right, you know, or they found a design that, um 
you know, that capitalized just the same way Red Bull did this year. So, you know, and so really Red Bull is doing nothing other than what Mercedes did at the beginning of the turbo hybrid era. So um, they gave Lewis all his championships. But what, what happened was, here's what I think will happen. If a team figures out, like let's just say the F, excuse me, the FIA stopped um, improving things right now, or, you know, meddling is what I mean. Yeah. Not improving, but meddling in things. Um, what would happen is, yeah, they're going to have just like, a baseball team, which is why I use that analogy. They're going to have a dominant team for two, three, maybe four years, but they're going to be the strongest in the first year that they have, mm -hmm. like really nailed the engineering. And then they're going to be, and then it's going to be decreasing until, until there's competition. Mm -hmm. And then eventually somebody's going to come up with something that makes them a leg ahead. And it's going to take the other team's time to catch up. It, what, what I'm saying is that, this will happen in spite of the FIA. That's that's what I'm getting at, is that the other teams are going to figure out what, you know, like Mercedes is going to figure out what Red Bull did. They made the wrong decision. Red Bull made the right one. So they're, they're going to kind of take some of the principles that they can see Red Bull used, and they'll build a more competitive car. That's the marketplace. And then... And then uh, let, let's say that Ferrari, uh, unbeknownst to Red Bull and Mercedes, let's say Ferrari, their engineers come up with a way to even to have a dominant car over, you know, but for 2023 or 2024, then they're going to be ahead for a couple of years. And then it's going to be up to Red Bull and Mercedes mm -hmm. to figure out what did they do, which is the way F1 ran up until. True. You know, and I think what happened, it really wasn't until Schumacher rebuilt Ferrari, you know, went over there after mm -hmm. Benetton, and he was so dominant that that's when this stuff kind of started. And oh, that's, that's interesting. That's yeah, when this started. Yeah, because before him, you didn't have anyone go on these absolute tears and no. win, you know, four or five championships in a row effectively. Well, um, and I can, I can prove this point that. because you – Probably don't remember it. You know, well, you wouldn't remember it, but you may or may not have uh, read about this over time. But do you know that uh, all but eight of the 10 teams in Formula One came this close to leaving the FIA and starting their own series in 2009? Really? And I'm talking, oh, yes. That recently? You had, uh, oh, yes. They almost did it. Like, I thought it was going to happen. It almost happened. Huh. And then, at the very, toward the end of it, two teams bailed out, which were Force India and Williams, decided they didn't want to do it. But all the other teams, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, you know, they all said, we're, we're done with the FIA. We're finished with you guys. And not only that, the FIA threatened some of these tracks like, if you sign a contract with these guys to race on these tracks, we may not have any FIA sanctioned races there. And you know what? The tracks didn't list. They didn't care. They, they had agreements on paper with, um, with Monaco, with spa, with Silverstone huh. on and on and on this, this row group of eight teams <laughs> had, had agreements with the, some of the most iconic tracks in formula one history. Now, the 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 
title of Formula One is leased to Liberty Media now. They own, you know, the the other side of it. Sure. But the title, so they couldn't call it Formula One, but they could call it Formula One A, Formula whatever. Yeah, yeah they can yeah. use the word formula. They just, they would have to call it something different. They may or may not be able to call it a driver's championship, but they could call it something almost like that, yeah. you know, a World Series championship yeah. <laughs> or whatever they want to call it. Sure. And everybody, all the fans would know. But here's a little trivia question. What was the issue that the FIA brought up in 2009 that caused this near mutiny? Uh, I, I don't know, but it strikes me that that was the year... 2009 was the year of Braun, and um, that was the immediately following the financial crisis, and it maybe had to do with spending. I I don't know. It well, it, it they proposed a cost cap. Oh, really? So it, that's when they first proposed a cost cap. Interesting. Was in 2009, and it almost led to the disbandment of Formula One. Uh, and in terms of them being connected to the FIA, then then why is everyone on board with it now? Good question. Good question. I I think the sport has gotten more popular. There's more money involved. Blah 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 blah. blah. Well, because so they probably... when when you were talking about all of this, all of these, you know, you know, penalizing the the success or whatever, I'm sitting here yeah. going, why don't we just throw all of that out and have just a strict cost cap? Because then you start getting in line with a bunch of other sports, like football does that. Right. You, you have a uh, you only have a certain amount of money you can pay your um, yeah. your players and, and stuff like that. And, and it makes for, yeah, you still end up having some teams be dominant and sometimes for a while. But the I difference, have no problem with that. The difference with football is that you have 32 teams and not 10. So that is a difference. And that when one team is dominant, it's like, yeah, well, there's still 31 other teams that could yeah. still beat them on any given day if they if they get lucky. But and in F1, that's less of the case. But it seems like if you just kind of let everyone... I mean, there is the problem of, like, I don't think Haas or Williams right now are spending the full amount that they're allowed to spend because they can't afford it. So that's a problem. But it just seems like if we, if we just kind of shelf that for now and just say, what if we just had a strict cost cap and then just let the teams do whatever they want? Would that have the outcome of competitiveness? Would you be yes. okay with that? Yeah, yeah, because I think that that would, um, yeah, because th th there's a concept, and I, you know, again, I'm comparing this to economics, but we are talking about money. But there's a concept in economics, you know, like a monopoly. You can't have a monopoly, and we right. have laws in our country that say you can't have a monopoly. Like Microsoft got dinged for forcing people to use, yeah. you know, their browsers. So. And they had to allow other browsers to run on Windows. So, okay. So, but there's another concept called an oligopoly. And that's when you have two or three big companies that that are separate, uh. but together they kind of form a monopoly and nobody else could break into that. Oh, and, so kind of like in the smartphone market, it's Apple and Google right now is... Well, the, the classic example is the automotive industry. Oh, you sure. Have, okay. You have, you know, um, Ford, Chevy, Ram, you know, Chrysler, and then, um, you know, we, we, in America. And so yeah. you have, I mean, how many, how many little startups have tried to enter the U.S. car market with like a three-wheel car or something like mm -hmm. that? And they just can't do it. And and the, the 
Tesla, the only way Tesla made it as far as they're making it is by giving tax benefits to people who bought EVs, you know, mm. electric vehicles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But without that, they couldn't have made it. And frankly, if, but you e- know, even Tesla was like a, a week, I don't know, exaggeration here, but they were on the door of going completely bankrupt. And they, yes, they didn't. Yeah. E- even given all the help they got from the government, they barely made it. And that's yeah. only because they had a guy like Elon Musk who basically lived at the factory for like two years yeah. and seriously didn't leave Yeah, um, to make sure that without him and him driving it in his brain, it probably wouldn't have worked. And the government subsidies and the fact that people like the cars, you know, mm-hmm. there's a, a segment of people that yeah, like yeah. them. So in you know without going any farther into that, but you can see what it takes. So that's and they call that a barrier to entry when you have an oligopoly. Sure. You know you have a barrier to entry. So um, and the th- same thing in theory exists in Formula One. The barriers to entry, if you don't have a cost cap, the barriers to entry can become insurmountable. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have a car maker like Mercedes, or now next year, or in 2024, 2025, Audi's coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so Audi's part of the Volkswagen Audi group. Volkswagen's huge. You know, they own Bentley, they own all these brands that you wouldn't even imagine unless you looked it up on the internet. Yeah. But um, they own a ton of brands and they're huge. And so they're going to come in with the Audi team. And that's going to, I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to be great. So, but they have the money to come into it right. and, you know, when on Sunday, sell on Monday, they, they assume that it's going to increase car sales and it probably will if they're competitive. But then you have teams like Williams, like you were mentioning and other ones that are going to struggle. And so, you know, and that's based on primarily advertising. So, um, but that's part of the deal. You know, the, you have to, part of Formula One is having a really good marketing team and being able to sell your team, um, you know, to companies that, mm-hmm. uh, can, can get their name on the side of a Formula One car who may not, could never afford to do it on a Mercedes or, a, they can't be Patronus or they can't compete with Oracle for Red Bull, mm-hmm. you know, as far as a- advertising goes or on and on. So, um, you know, there's there's other you just have to have like a really good marketing staff to pull this off. And by the way, marketing, I think, is exempt from the cost cap. So you can have a really good you can, you know, you can hire I don't really know that it marketing. is because I think I, I checked it and it is um, at least what I read said it is. OK, well, because T- Total Wolf was doing an interview um, over the weekend at one point and somebody asked him and I may have misheard because, you know, I may have misheard, but. I think someone yeah. asked him what what was like the biggest part of the cost cap, and he said marketing. But I don't know that that was marketing. I don't know. Probably that... they probably said what's the biggest expense that's ex- that's not included in it. Oh well, yeah, I don't. Is, I don't remember. But yeah. So yeah, because I actually scanned through the FIA document, the PDF file that they released after oh. the they came to the agreement, and it spells out what's exempt from the cost cap. Okay, and I. 95% sure I saw marketing in there. HR. Well, the question the might things. have been then what is your single biggest expense as a team? And he said marketing. <laughs> but yeah, it was like, I just do find that funny that marketing is such a massive expense. Well, I mean, you know, that's, that's business, right? But then that makes sense then, because if, if you have a team like Haas mm-hmm. who is privately owned and, and is struggling to meet, meet the, well, is allegedly struggling to meet the cost cap. 
Um, and if marketing is exempt, they don't have the money to do the marketing that somebody uh, like a billion dollar organization, like the Mercedes team has, or that, you know, Red Bull has, or Ferrari, they don't, they can't afford the marketing side of it. But, but yet you have, you have groups like, uh, you know, Michael Andretti, the Andretti Motorsports. True. Yeah. That that have put up, they've said that they'll put up $200 million to enter the sport and they have the infrastructure to run a team. So yeah, maybe Haas actually, and this has happened throughout the history of Formula One. You've had smaller teams get bought out. Like you and I have talked about Mm -hmm. the history of these teams. So, you know, like, Let's say Andretti Motorsports, you know, becomes Andretti Global in 2026 and they buy out Haas. Let's say they do. And then and now it's the Andretti, you know, Global comes in. And then within 10 years, they're dominant. You know, we'll be explaining how they got to that position and saying, yeah, it, the, uh, now now these other teams can't compete with Andretti Global. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you got to remember that Red Bull came in very slowly, you know, into Formula also One, true. and they did the same thing, and then they built themselves up into the team they are today. So yeah. it can happen. I'm just what I'm getting at is you can't look at a season and make a decision about these things. That's you a have, good point. You have to look at um, groups of years, unfortunately, and yeah. you know none yeah. of us are that patient. But in Formula One, you have to be. That's why I brought up the baseball thing. It takes years to build a team, yeah, and then you're only going to be dominant for a certain number of years, and then you know your guys age out, and that's true with drivers too. They get older. Look at Hamilton. Now he he thinks that he's can drive as as well as he's ever done until for the next four or five years. But who knows if it's true? And Mercedes may not believe that he can actually do it because he's, he is human after all. Well, yeah, they might do to him what Alpine did to Alonzo, where they were just like, yeah, we're only give you one year contracts because you're old. And Alonzo's like, I'm still driving out of my right. mind. What are you doing? I'll go take this other contract where they'll pay me more. Like, <laughs> yeah, that could happen with Hamilton. And but yet there's there's all these drivers that are like, you know, 18, 19, 20 yeah. coming up from F2 that. You know, you've got, an, you know, because Alonso's 40 and he, they're half his age. And so they've got mm-hmm. 20 years in these guys. So that's what I mean by sometimes you have to let go of a legend like a Hamilton or whatever. So regardless of what Mercedes or Hamilton wants to do with Mercedes, they may have to let him go to make room for whoever's going to be Russell's next companion driver. Hmm. Um, be, in other words, to build for the future, you always have to build for the future in any sport. You can't just rely on where you are now forever, or you're going to really suffer for a number of years. So change is constant. That's true. So, so is that the takeaway then of just, we'll have to wait and see how it pans out? <laughs> like... Well, I, I, I think the FIA is... Okay, they're they're a bureaucracy, right? Just like yeah. any other government bureaucracy, they're a sure. form of government. Sure. And and the main function of a bureaucracy is to get bigger and self-exist. So they're <laughs> justify going... its own existence. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. just the nature of. And unfortunately, no, the FIA true. is so bloated at this point. And... Well, this ends up happening in big corporations too. I mean, 
Like, it, well, it happens up... in each bureaucracy. It happens with the federal governments, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And well, state I mean... governments and things. It's why some of the smaller states actually have um, they have a more agile form of government because they're smaller and they can react to things quicker. You were telling me the other day that when you worked at a big corporation and then worked for yes. a startup, it's just a massive difference, like well, an unbelievable difference. Yeah, I I worked in the computer industry starting in the mid 80s, you know, pre uh, World Wide Web, you know, 10 years before the World Wide Web. Yeah. Now, the Internet's been around since the 60s, technically, but sure. anyway, 60s, 70s. But but the bottom line was like this company had existed in the pre-internet era. So they had they had a certain way, for example, customers would report issues, problems. And so now the way that a newer, um, you know, Silicon Valley startup handled customer issues, you know, for companies that began in the internet era, they were able to develop, you know, a really um useful ways of customers like the you know they knew the web they knew web web design inside now because it was the cutting thing in the 90s you know mid to late 90s and so when they designed their customer support process they could do a great job of it mm, but when yeah. you have when you have these large corporations that had ex existed for decades prior to the advent of the internet what they did and this was typical is that they internetized their existing process Oh, so they they just took whatever they were using previously and then put it on a web page, and it was horrible. Yeah, yeah. But that wasn't they weren't the only company that had that issue. So, so yeah. Point being with the FIA then is yes. Sometimes you get too big for anyone's good. <laughs> well, you just keep growing, and so yeah. the FIA at some time might become redundant. Yeah. And they're they're no longer serving the function that they originally were created to serve. They're well, self and yeah. here's an example. They're making all these stupid rules about the cars, but and then in Suzuka we had an emergency vehicle on the track. Mm -hmm. While the cars were out there, they've had some big errors lately. And that's their primary job. Well, and even it, do we want to kind of go back to what we were talking about last week about Alonzo? Because that was a pretty big gaffe as well, the Alonzo penalty that they overturned. Well, I, I think I think suffice to say, and I guess my point is, and I'm, I'm not going to say this is definitive, but I'm concerned about it. Yeah, is that if it feels like they're spending all this time working on banning this and regulating that, and you know, creating this egalitarian car, but they're they're forgetting their primary purpose in life, which is safety, and things that they did excellently. Oh, yeah. early on, like that's you know, a good the, point. They the FIA was instrumental in mandating safety that has saved countless drivers lives well and even with the halo and and the other safety innovations lately they've still done that it's just that they're not that isn't they're, they're doing a whole bunch of other things now too which well they're, they're worried about you know they're they're obviously concerned about you know, things like you know r running non-fossil fuels in the cars and yeah they're, they're putting a lot of their efforts into things other than safety and the safety side is falling down a little bit, and some of their decisions during races are falling down. And that's, that's what too. they were created to do. That's what. So you're basically saying that maybe the FIA should be pruned way back and focused specifically just Absolutely. on safety and track safety and all that other stuff. Yeah, they should and... probably let 
competition take care of the car design themselves. Let the marketplace decide, you know, the competitive competitiveness. Set some general guidelines, you know, like you can't have more a car bigger than, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, some general guidelines in, in terms of engine size and, you know, um, horsepower and things like that and weight, yeah. you know, that's fine. But the cars, you know, now the cars are too heavy. And part of the heaviness, for example, is the fact that we're not refueling. So we have these massive gas tanks with with a whole True. race for the fuel. If they just went back to refueling and if they hadn't gotten their little digits involved in that, the cars <laughs> would have smaller gas tanks and they'd be lighter. And then that creates a whole other set of benefits when they crash there it's not as bad if they run into each other they don't they don't damage each other as bad you know and so there's just things where i mean their intentions might be good but um there's times where too much meddling actually starts you have a a, a sense of diminishing marginal utility i'm, I'm yeah. i'll just kind of put it that way so I'm not saying like it's 2009 again, time to do away with the FIA. Sure, sure. But, you know, and they didn't do it back then. And, you know, but it came close. It really did. Hmm. Um, it was the closest it's ever come. And it wasn't that long ago. But I think that the FIA need to step back and it's going to be hard because they're a bureaucracy. <laughs> the teams yeah. would have to all unite on this and they would have to propose some kind of a structure where the teams have more control over what the FIA does because that's what happens in a bureaucracy. Like we elect a government to represent us and take care of the things that we can't do because we're busy doing our jobs. Right. Yeah. And then at some point the government thinks that they own that, that they can tell us what to do. And this happens all over the place in every yeah. form of government there is, you know, it happens. Yep. They, they just yep. get too big for their own britches and then they have to be, reduced in size or whatever in you know or get somebody in the office that agrees with that and then they shrink it and then things get back to normal and then it bloats up again it's just the nature of life right yeah so <laughs> but that's what i think i think the fia is it's time for them to shrink it's time for them to uh, not get so meddlesome on the cars and let competition uh, you know take back over and then you're going to have some exciting cars again we may have a car with six wheels again who knows you know <laughs> well yeah so. i think maybe i mean because we've already been going for like an hour um i think maybe we should do a part two where we actually dive into like maybe is next week a bye week because that would be convenient where we just kind of dive into our ideas around musings yeah. around the formula unlimited where we kind of play around with that idea as things stand, though, I am going to somewhat disagree. I, I am, after all, very a very pragmatic person. And I think that as of right now, I'm happy to kind of see how things play out. And if it turns out in a couple of years, things are really competitive and, you know, it's a, a highly entertaining sport. We show up to every race and we don't know who's going to win. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to be happy with that. But at the same time, if we get to the point where we're knocking on the door of the IndyCar series, I'm going to be very upset. So prepare to be upset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Unless unless there's a revolution. OK, why don't we move on to you had something you it's my turn. I have to answer the the thing, hot, seat, hot question. seat question. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> here we have a segment where we uh we like to end the, every episode where we talk about a topic that one of us doesn't know what it is. And so 
If you have a hot seat question for either of us or just any kind of question about anything you want us to answer, you can email in at matt at withmyuncle.com or dan at withmyuncle.com and ask those questions. But today, you're in the hot seat. So, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, there's been a lot of talk about how Max has broken the all time record of race wins at 14. He beat Schumacher and Vettel, who were both tied at 13. R- race wins in one season. Race right? wins in one season. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, cause obviously he's won a lot more than that, but so there's a, there's been a lot of talk about that, but at the same time, there are more races in a season these days. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm happy to look at percentage wins rather than number outright number, given that there are a lot more races and even more next year. So with this win, then he's, he's at 14, which does break 14. the all time record. Yes, he does. He has the all-time record of wins. And so is that a valid record? Is that valid to 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 have that even though there's more races in a year these days? All right. I yes. Well, <laughs> there's an as there has to be an asterisk by that because there's a number of things that are different. This is my opinion on it. Okay. There's a number of things that are different. More more than you might realize that it, it's like so what, what is that? I think that the number is, and I think in the end, here's, here's, I'm going to start with a conclusion and then I'm going to give you this supporting information. <laughs> okay. But my conclusion is because there are, there are so many differences, some that, you know, like the number of races that you think make it easier, but then there's a number of things that make it way more complicated to do it. So in the end, I think that you can make an argument for the record being valid for this being a valid like okay he wow he's got the record and it means something Mm -hmm. so you know because the you have two people that had 13 wins in a season which by the way in formula one is that is rare and it's only been done twice before (laughs) so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it was done once by um schumacher in 2004 and then it was done by Vettel sometime subsequently. I'm so, actually the the most surprising thing as an as an aside, the most surprising yeah. thing about that to me is that Lewis in all those those years of Mercedes dominance yeah. ne- never got 13. No, like, he that's, didn't get that's he incredibly didn't get 13 in a season. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so then again, how dominant were they? You know, that's a whole other discussion. But well, I'm sure the yeah, other anyway. ones were taken up by Bottas or whomever. But, well, you who know. knows? <laughs> who knows? But yeah, well, possible. Yeah. Or Hulkenberg or somebody, but or Rosberg. But yeah, yeah, Rosberg. Yeah, Rosberg. Yeah. But anyway, so but here's here's what I'm getting at. So yeah, another way to look at it is percentages. So if you do look at Schumacher, I did the math on it. Um, after you and I talked yesterday, I'm, and so I'm glad you asked this question because it's like, okay, <laughs> this one I'm ready for. For the um, listeners at home, he's acting like he didn't come up with this question, but you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, no, but but so if you look at it, he there were 18 races in 2004. There's 22 this season. There were 18 in 2004. So if you win 13, you won 72.2 percent. I'm rounding here, 72 sure. percent. So with Verstappen now winning 14, he's at 64%. Right. And even winning one more wouldn't put him above 72. But if he wins the next two races, he will even percentage-wise at at 
16 races out of 22, he'll have 73% of the races won. So he would have the title however you look at it. But I still yeah. think there's a good argument for him to have it. And um, Because let's look at it this way. When you have 22 races over 18, you know, that's four additional races. That's some percentage of 18. It's like, what, 20%, something like that? Something like that. So you have 20% more travel, 20% more physical demands, 20% more jet jet lag. So there's a sense in which those extra four races are coming at the end of the season and and when you're already worn out and tired. So that's you know, a good there, point. That so there's there's a physical aspect that is, you know, where this is that's not easy. You know, you can't just look at each race, you have to think of it again as a season. And then not only that. But and this is the kicker in twenty in two thousand four they didn't have seasonal limits on the number of engines or motors that they could run in a season. So yeah. it, and so there's other limitations that the FIA and their glorious wisdom <laughs> um, <laughs> have have brought into the sport that limit reliability. You know, I mean, they did it to mandate reliability, but previous to that, when Schumacher set the record at 13, he could have a brand new engine for every race. And that was a possibility. And frankly, they pretty much did that. Yeah. So the only penalty they had in 2004 was you had to use one engine. They weren't even, they didn't care about transmissions back then, but you had to run one engine for a race weekend. And if you oh, changed, so you like couldn't swap it out between practice and qualifying or whatever, right? If you yeah. did, you got a ten place grid penalty. Interesting. And if you changed the engine after Q two and qualifying, which apparently they had enough time to do that, um, then you started at the back of the grid. So it was it was one of two penalties. But after Q two and qualifying, if you replace the motor for Q three, then you went to the back of the grid. Hmm. But um, if you swapped it out any other time during the weekend after you started practice in it, then you got a ten place grid penalty. But they were starting with new motors virtually every race weekend. So, and that's far from the case of the way things are now. So you know, there's a whole reliability thing that makes mm -hmm. this even more difficult to achieve. In fact. Before Max did it, you can make an argument that it would never happen again, even with 22 races. Yeah. Because of that fact. So, and the other thing is they had th three liter V10s back then. You know, the maximum engine size they allowed was 3,000 cc's, three liter motors, and they were V10s, which obviously we're running, you know, turbocharged V6s now. So you and have even more so wear and tear. I, I love the V10s. I wish they go back to it. I know. But but the point is that with 10 cylinders in theory, you're you know, you're distributing the uh, power, you know, you have a bigger motor that's mm -hmm. going to last longer and you're distributing, you know, you have four more cylinders to take the wear and tear away from the six. So in some senses, you could say that this is even more amazing that he tied the record and even more 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 amazing that he beat it. So if you're a strict numbers guy and you're going to go on percentages, he needs to win the next two. But I think you can make a valid argument, in my opinion, that um, 14 is 14, that even at 13, he was he was doing better than Schumacher or Vettel did because he's got tougher rules. So what so. you're saying is, as with most <laughs> things in life, yeah. nearly everything, 
It's a lot more complicated than it looks like on the surface. <laughs> There's more to it if you take the time to look into it. There's more to yeah. it. Yeah. And okay. and and there is no definitive answer. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah. It's it's opinion. In the end, it's conjecture and opinion. But yeah. it's fun to talk about if you're a F1 nerd. Yeah. So I'm happy talking, to take the yeah. the overly simplistic percentage perspective. And just say, look, if you have that percentage, then then you're then you've got the record. But that's obviously simplistic, as you pointed out. Yeah. And, you know, there's another thing. There's another thing that fully automatic transmissions and launch control were still allowed in 2004. Oh, they don't allow fully automatic transmissions or launch control anymore. That's so. true. And also, you got to bear in mind that there's other stuff like actually having to shift gears manually back in the day that doesn't happen anymore and so when you have no, someone... and that didn't happen in schumacher's era yeah no it doesn't so... not for him either but i just mean that's one more thing that's yeah. even easier these days and so yeah. it's like so it's like i think the way to look at this is there's a number of races that if you win you are clearly the dominant driver and team that year yeah So there was a year, 2004, with Schumacher, where he and Ferrari were dominant in 2004. Vettel with Red Bull, whatever year that was. I forget the exact year. 11 Um, through 14, I think. Well, yeah, but I don't know which year he won the 13. Oh, um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And and now you have Max with Red Bull in 2022, by far the dominant driver and team. And so dominant that he's breaking records like this. So yeah, I don't want to take anything away from it. That's that was the key, and that's why I looked into it um after you and I had the discussion because it was just sticking in my craw because you go, Well, you know, but there were more races. Like that explains <laughs> everything. And I'm like, No, no, there's more to it than that. Darn yeah, it. So true. I was just gonna tell you about it, you know. But that's, you know, I was, but anyway, it was the point. It's like, no, and there's more to this. It was, things were easier in some ways. Now, they still had refueling in 2004, which made it a little more difficult, I will say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in some ways, more difficult, in some ways, not. But, you know, anyway, so, but you have to say that Ferrari and Schumacher were dominant, like highly crazy dominant. Mm-hmm. Or Otherwise, this would have been done more often. And then in the history of Formula One, you have three teams and drivers that were this dominant. Now, you know, what does this mean for Vettel's future? Uh, You know, I think Vettel's future, I mean, Vettel, uh, Max, the um, yeah, Verstappen. So that I, you know, obviously, I think four wins is pretty likely, and it could, who knows. If it stretches beyond that, you know. Yeah. We, so, as far as championships, you mean? Championships. I could yeah. see him before his career is over getting five or six easily, whether or not he ties Lewis and and Schumacher at seven or breaks eight. Who knows if Hamilton yeah. will before the end or not? But whether he's able to reach that number is, you know, I wouldn't bet any money on it because that's a very high number, almost yeah, impossible. Yeah. But I think he's going to get. He's going to be way up there, and he's going to break a lot of records on the way. And I, I think it's it's yeah. legitimate to say he broke this record, all if you take everything into consideration. So I, I think that's fair. I mean, you you just pointed out that it's it's quite complicated, and yeah, well, on there's the just one more hand, things to think about. There's sure, just more sure. things to think about. You got to yeah. put it in context, right? 
Yeah, and and as you said, there's no definitive answer, even though you could make a case in a bunch of different directions. So the only way but. it can be a definitive answer is if everything would remain the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Which <laughs> you got the same competitors, happen. same teams. Yeah, you know, same car, same everything, same rules, and then somebody else broke it at 14. That's the only way you could say, okay, that yeah. is clearly you know the way to beat it. But I still think. I still think it was really significant and it's representative. It is that. significant for sure. Yeah. I, I never meant to like discount it necessarily. It's just that you, the reality is there's a lot more races in a season and you have to account for that. But to, again, back to your point, there's also yeah. a lot of other contributing factors as well. So it's not quite so simple. Yeah. But. And it's only four more, which is, you know, it's a lot, but 18 to 22 is, you know, yeah. You know, it's not huge. It's not like they went from 15 to 25 or something. That's true. But still, at any rate. Okay, well, that's cool. I could could see that. Um, I guess that'll probably do it for us for today. We've gone on long enough, even though... We have two weeks in Lagos, Brazil. Yeah, so we'll have a bye week next week. And um, the last sprint race of 2022. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I do want to talk about sprints in general probably after... Uh, we we go and see that just mm-hmm. because I I believe it it requires a certain amount of reflection given that we've had two years of sprints now just to kind of see what we think of them so sure and uh, that'll that'll happen at some point so next week we'll have a bye week with an as yet undetermined topic or series of topics or who knows maybe we'll just fly by the seat of our pants that tends to go <laughs> swimmingly so <laughs> anyway. It works too. Uh, So until then, thanks so much for listening and take care of yourselves.